0: morning I'm going to be addressing um, an issue which I think is a persistent problem. It's not just one of those problems that you'll find in the Old Testament. It's not just a problem that you find in the Bible. It's a problem that we all face. And we're going to dig into that in just a moment. We have both an Old and New Testament passage to show uh, how God dealt with this in the past and how he is dealing with it now today. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the scripture reading. It's also found in your bulletins. And I'd like to ask you to stand now at this time for the reading of God's word. 1
1: Samuel 12, verses 6 through 9. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt? Now therefore stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that, that he performed for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Now John 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me.
0: Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. As Samuel prayed, we pray, Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, one of the things we find as we come across uh, passages of Scripture like this this morning is that we have a fundamental problem, and the Bible calls that a sin. And our sin is this problem of forgetfulness. Verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. Isn't that an amazing statement? Samuel has just gone through kind of a recounting of a brief history of, of these people. And if you think about what God has done in their lives, it's been quite amazing, They were sold into slavery in Egypt. God delivers them as they cry out to him for help. He delivers them in an amazing way. In a way you you would think, how could anyone ever, ever forget what he's just done? The plagues, the passing through the sea, and then to be brought into the promised land finally. And yet the people just continue to persist in not wanting to deal with God. And so they did not follow his ways. They did not pursue his instructions. They did not remove the, the, the Canaanites from the land. And they continued to worship other gods. And so Samuel reminds them of this. And, he, and now the people are saying, well, we want a king. We really realize we, we lack leadership here. We need a king. We want to be like the other nations, And Samuel said, no, no, that's that's not the way it's supposed to go. God wants to be your king. He's sufficient for it. And they said, no, no, we really, really need a king. So God relents. God accommodates himself to the people and grants them a king. It's going to be Saul, right? But if you look at that history, especially of 1 Samuel, you see priests and prophets, kings, you know, Those elements are all present in that brief history. Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are terrible, really, examples of priests. Um, there, There is no king at this point, as I said, but they're getting a king, and he's not the one that, it's not part of the real plan that God had for them. And then, of course, you have Samuel as a prophet. And so God has given them these helps. He's given them Leaders to remind them of his great deeds, but the people forgot God. Annie Dillard, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning writer, a Christian who has crossed over into mainstream writing and has done quite well, once wrote an essay. And I remember uh, the interview that she was. That she had. They asked her questions about her Christian faith. That's what secular magazines like to do. They like to probe into those kinds of things and almost make you look a little bit silly. And so they were asking Annie Dillard about her faith and about the supernatural. And this is what she had to say She said, I have no problem with miracles. That isn't the question I struggle with. To me, the real question is how in the world can we remember God? I like that part of the Bible that lists kings as good and bad. Suddenly there comes this one, King Josiah, who orders the temple to be cleaned up and inadvertently, inadvertently discovers the law. This happens after generations of rulers and after the Israelites followed God through the Exodus. Somehow they had forgotten the whole thing, every piece of it, a whole nation, simply forgot God. And of course, this isn't the first time, is it? The book of Judges, when you read that, you see this pattern reoccurring over and over again. The people of God fall into sin. They they worship other gods. They are then led into slavery to these nations. They become slave nations to them. And they cry out to God, and ultimately God relents and God brings a judge, a helper, a savior, so to speak, who rescues them and delivers them. But in those passages, it says over and over again, and they forgot the Lord their God. How is that possible? Again, it's not as if God you know, set them on a course and said, all right, good luck, God bless you. No, he sent them prophets, he sent them priests to intercede when they would fail. And he sent them leaders to guide and rule. And yet they continued to forget the Lord their God. It's almost, uh, it's it's kind of like what, what you see sometimes uh, if you've gone on the internet. One of the common things is to post a picture or a video where there looked like there was supposed to be some kind of success, but then there became a failure. They call it you know, epic fail or failure. You'll find pictures of that all around. If there's a prank that goes wrong, someone will post the video of it and they'll, you know, put epic failure. Um, and so it, it, you almost think that someone could do that for the people of Israel, that they would post a picture of the people and say, epic failure. It's almost as if you were writing a, a history of the book of Israel that you could title that book, But They Forgot the Lord Their God. Really? when you think about their history. Now, I used to think about, you know, when I was in college, I started reading through the Bible for the first time, and I started reflecting about these things and getting into seminary. I began to think, you know, what is wrong with these people? Are they knuckleheads? You know, we've got it together now, but they really lacked it Until, until I became a youth pastor. My task was junior high ministry. I did it for four years. And in Southern California, what we would do is we did not have camps during the summertime. In the summertime, we took the kids to the beach. But in the wintertime, we would take them up to the mountains because many of them had never seen snow before. And so it was really a great opportunity. We'd go up to San Jacinto Mountains, Idlewild, or we'd go up to Big Bear, really nice places. And it was a great, I remember one of the first times, it was a great experience. You know, take them up, we'd have fun tubing in the snow and, and then, you know, we'd also have uh, guest speakers who would come in and address spiritual matters with them. And people would come to know Christ and other kids would recommit their lives and there would be confession of sin and all kinds of good things happened. And I thought, wow, this is this is terrific. We're up here on the mountain and we're getting close to God. And then we took the bus ride home. And all of a sudden it just kind of unravels. Kids are swearing People are stealing things from other kids, and I'm thinking, what happened? I thought we made some progress here. People forgot God. It happens to all of us. We can have the most beautiful and edifying thoughts in our morning prayer, and our devotional time. Whole new vistas of the Christian life can open up for us. But when it actually comes to the practical crunch time, it just seems to slip right out of our minds. And at the end of the day, we can kick ourselves for being just as uninspired, unregenerate, unforgiving as ever. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, as many of you know, a Russian writer, Won the Templeton Prize for Religion in 1983, and part of his acceptance of that award, he wrote an essay entitled Men Have Forgotten God. And in that essay, you know, he's reflecting on the 20th century and he's thinking about the whole development of communism and atheism and looking at the history of the wars, all of those things, and this is what he writes. If I were called upon to identify briefly the principal trait of the entire 20th century, I would be unable to find anything more precise and pithy than to repeat once again, men have forgotten God. So here you have even this kind of prophetic Russian writer looking back at the 20th century and saying, we just, we've forgotten God. But the issue, my friends, is not one of like, oh, I should have had a V8. It's not that kind of forgetfulness. It's not this kind of uh, ignorance that we may have. It's not like when you have a guest pastor who comes in and he forgets to read the words of the institution or something like that. <laughs> We're not talking about that kind of forgetfulness. We're talking about something deeper spiritually. Romans 1.18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. This is about suppressing the truth. This is about not wanting to deal with God. This is about dealing doing anything else but having to deal with God. We suppress the truth. That's what this forgetfulness is about. The most persistent manifestation of sin in our lives is to try to obliterate the memory of sin. And so this is accomplished by blurring our connection with God. We avoid a detailed awareness of our sin by claiming, "Hey, I'm not perfect." By disassociating ourselves with whatever wrong that we've done with a sense of God. And so we like to we'd rather we'd rather go to the hospital and take a battery of tests. To try to help ourselves physically. We'd, we'd rather go to university and take a course to improve ourselves educationally than to deal with God. Most of us would rather do anything but deal with God. But the people forgot God. This is the history of Israel. I wish I was smart enough I could write a history because that's what I would call the book. This is the history of God's people, this is our history. We forget God, but God has done something remarkable by sending in the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect prophet and priest and king. He has met our need for this lack of memory by sending Jesus. Glenn read the passage to us from the gospel of John. Jesus has said, I've taught you all these things. And of course, that can be collected as the gospel of John. It could also be thought of as all that Jesus really taught. You know, when you look at the, uh, the end of the, the gospel of Luke, Jesus says, as he's uh, talking to the, the two on the road to the Emmaus, okay, here's the Old Testament. Here are the, you know, the, the Psalms, the prophets, the law, all of that, Points to me. Everything in the Old Testament is finding its fullness in me. And so Jesus Christ himself becomes the consummation of God's law, the fullness of God's law. All of his teaching, all that he represents, is what we need to know. So we know what we need to know, and now he says, and I'm going to send you another one, the Holy Spirit who will now remind you of all things. And so it's through this prophetic office of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit that God has provided a way of remembering what he has done. A way of remembering, a kind of fundamental remembrance that will affect our hearts. So what we're talking about here is really building up a kind of Christian memory, isn't it? But we have to realize this is going to take time. Everything in the Christian life that's worthwhile takes time. I was just talking with one of the members of the church this last week, and he reminded me, he said, you know, John, Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I said, amen, brother. And that's so true when it comes to really learning God's word God's will the teachings of Jesus Christ it's going to take time it's a big mistake for us to always look for immediate results and to insist on always drawing some kind of immediate application once we've read a passage of scripture I think it's kind of like learning how to drive a car I don't know what driver's education is like today but I do remember what mine was like we sat in class we watched film We didn't watch a DVD, we didn't watch digital, we watched a film. And some of them were pretty grotesque films. But we learned how to drive as we sat in class and learned the rules, and then we went out and we practiced, right? I think the Christian life is kind of like that as well. There's a place where we have to learn all the, quote, rules, the way of Jesus. But we have to realize that all of the things that we're going to learn are not always going to be immediately used in our lives. That we have to kind of build up this reserve. We have to acquire a kind of memory that will enable us to deal with whatever emergencies come our way. And of course, God's means of doing that, and I know this isn't fancy, this isn't new to you. It's the ordinary means of grace. So God is going to work into us this Christian memory of him as we sit under and listen to God's word preached faithfully, as we observe and partake of the sacraments, and as we pray. And it's through those ordinary means, those really non-fancy ways that we as Christians are going to acquire the knowledge of Jesus Christ, a Christian memory, so to speak, so the very first stage, of course, is is hearing God's word, and hearing it, being open to receiving it. Another way is really to memorize Scripture or memorize parts of the Catechism. You know that was something that we used to do years ago. Christians long ago used to recite the Creed as often as possible. Even in the Old Testament, the people were said were told. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall, be, you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. The point is, we have to be aware of more scripture and more doctrine than we actually require for immediate use. So that we can be prepared for whatever troubles, whatever emergencies we face. And not just the hazards of life, but also the graces that God gives us in our lives. Which we're often going to be unable to recognize, let alone respond to, if we don't have that kind of reserve of doctrine or scripture to lighten them up. Let me give you an example, again, of this idea of we have to have more of God's word, more of Christ's teaching in us than we actually need at any given moment. So getting back to this example of driver's education. About seven years ago, I had just uh, dropped my son and a bunch of his friends off at uh, one of their friends' homes, and I was driving home. Driving, it was a four-way road. We are driving about 35, 40 miles an hour, And there's a woman, a young woman, that's in front of me. She's off on this this lane. And um, she's not that far in front of me. And I'm seeing tragedy coming. I'm looking, and she's driving on this outward lane, which is now all of a sudden going to become two lanes. And she's not seeing it. So I don't know if she's messing with her phone or whatever, but all of a sudden she realizes she's going to go right into a ditch. And she does what everybody else does. She overcorrects. Cuts across the lane, right into a car, head on. And I'm the only one there. And so all of that knowledge that I had gained from driver's ed, surprisingly, was still there. I'd never witnessed an accident like anything like that before. I never had to use any of those bits of information before. So immediately, 911, getting out of the car, checking people, assuring them, talking, are you okay? Talking to the woman first, are you okay? She's moving, she's moving. I'm thinking, they're going into shock. You know, what can I do? And then I go over to the other car. It's not good. The whole top of the car is off. And here's this young man in there. And I I mean, I can't even tell you about it. But um, all of the things that I needed to know came to me. And interestingly, by the way, eight months later, that young man sought me out. And um, he was okay. But the the point here is that we're going to face all kinds of difficulties in life. And we need the kind of Christian memory to to draw up, to call upon in situations that we may not be prepared for. We need that reserve. And so we need to, first of all, trust the whole Bible. We need to believe the whole Bible and to let it speak to us with the voice of God and not to exclude any part of it. We are kind of prone to picking our favorite places, our favorite passages, and to censor other parts. We must not deliberately exclude parts of the Bible that do not appeal to us or make sense to us. It's kind of ironic we live in this age where we encourage listening, you know, as a, as a very important practice amongst each other, but very few people truly listen to the Bible and so we must not be in too much of a hurry to understand everything that's in the Bible. Think of Peter at his most glorious moment. He's just confessed Jesus as the Messiah, and it's been told to him that it's come from the Holy Spirit. And then he's told that his, based on his faith, um, his faith is like the rock, and that faith will be that which builds the church. But he immediately presumes upon his knowledge and his understanding, and he tries to divert Jesus from going to the cross. So we shouldn't be in a hurry to understand everything that we come across. Just let it sink in. We must be prepared to listen and to learn without being too quick to understand. In fact, it's, it's kind of interesting. Christians in the past used to do What um, psychiatrists today often use is word association. You're familiar with that, right? So in word association, I might say to you, cat. Some of you might immediately say, dog, or furry, or cute, or annoying, right? Depending upon how you feel about that. That's how word association works. And the whole idea is that these random associations of words um, allow a professional to get the uncensored you, the real you, because you have to respond immediately, gives a person insight into you that you might not normally give. We like to present ourselves a certain way. We like to wear masks. And so with word association, you kind of get below that level. And the same is true, I think this is how the Bible works. If you allow God's word to sink into your memory, more and more it's likely that anytime you read a passage or, you, or a passage we just even read here in, in the service or by yourself, whatever it might be, that you're reading a passage that one word will spark some kind of word association for other parts of the Bible. And so you might come across a word and it remind, might remind you of something that's totally different from the passage in which you're reading. And that word may convict you, it may humble you, it may excite you, it may motivate you, it may move you to tears of joy. I think that's how God works. And so the important thing is that we should let God's word into our hearts, all of God's word. Because after all, all of God's word is addressed to us as we really are, not as we like to present ourselves. God speaks to our hearts and not to the masks that we wear. And so we should allow the Bible to bring us into the light, the light of God's truth. God is not taken by my polite little speeches that I give. He knows me and He knows you through and through far better than we know ourselves. He's listening to our thoughts, He knows our hearts. And so if we want to keep company with God, if you want to walk with God, as the Bible says, if you want to have a a relationship with him, we have to become the kind of people who are prepared to be heard and addressed at the level of the heart. That means losing deliberate control that we often try to have. Most of us, I've just realized this in the last few years, most of us are really... Interested in controlling situations, right? You're going into a business meeting, you're in a relationship, and there's always this kind of controlling that's going on. Well, God is going to work below that kind of control. So as long as our faith remains at that kind of level of deliberate control where we're trying to control God in our life, well, that relationship with him is going to be off and on. If we allow the Lord, though, to get a hold of us at the level of what we're calling the heart, below the level of the control, below the level of the mask that we like to put on in front of other people, then we're going to see the Holy Spirit beginning to work in us. We will become involved with God even in spite of ourselves. So the Lord knows very well that there's only so much of of the Bible that we can handle at once. There's only so much of the gospel. I mean, if we were to sit here and read for hours the Bible, it would just be too much, wouldn't it? And so he also knows that if we were left to ourselves, we would conveniently leave out many of the parts of the Bible. And so his provision for us is very precise and well designed. First of all, he's going to tell us all kinds of things, knowing very well that, We're not going to remember them. Then he's going to send his Holy Spirit with the assurance that he will remind us of all these things. Isn't this the essential working of the Holy Spirit? So in our listening to sermons, in our reading of scripture, in our memorizing and meditation, we accumulate the Lord's teaching. But then it has to be picked up and applied in our lives. I know we try to apply the Bible in our own situations, and we should do that, but let's recognize that the Holy Spirit is really the one who's going to be taking that application and applying it to us. So let me give you an example. We might be going through our life happily quarreling with a neighbor. When I lived in Washington State, I lived in a rental home, and we had next-door neighbors very wonderful people, good Christian people, Paul and Paula, three beautiful children. We really loved living next to them. Uh, And they told us one day of some quarreling that they had had with the owner of the house that we lived in. And the problem was is that Paul, who was just a really hard worker, he put up a fence. He put up a wood fence, and he had it six inches off. And so the guy who owned our house, was they were fighting all the time. And he was asking Paul to take the fence and to move it to six inches. So there was this constant quarreling between them. We might have that kind of quarreling with neighbors or friends. And then one day the Holy Spirit decides to intervene. Just when you're about to set off on some kind of tyrant, uh, you know, you're just going to go off on some kind of rampage. Out of the blue comes this thought to you. Love your neighbors. Pray for those who persecute you. Love even your enemies. And then you don't have to, you really, you can't make a, a decision other than to either say, yes, Lord, or you can go on, of course, with your tantrum, but at the expense of refusing a very specific grace that God has given you. See, as long as we remember after something has happened, after we've had a tantrum, after we've called somebody a name, we can say, I'm going to go ask God for forgiveness. Situation solved. But when the Holy Spirit calls things to mind, pointing them out sometimes very specifically, just at the worst possible time, then we have a real choice to make. We can either accept this offer of grace or we can refuse it, which is far more serious than forgetting. If we want a relationship with God, we have to be prepared to let him remind us of his ways, not at the times that suit us, but at the times that suit him. If through our use of the ordinary means of grace, through the reading of scripture and meditation, we let him into our hearts, below the level of that deliberation, we're going to hand over to him the right to choose how and when to present himself. See, we all like keeping God in the, the best china cupboard that we have. My, uh, my dad has an antique china cupboard, got it from my grandmother, beautiful, got the china in there. That's the way we like to deal with God. We like to occasionally look over, oh yeah, it looks good. Or when people come by, there's our china. That's the way we like to deal with God. But the living God chooses his own times and he comes often when he's not wanted. So true scripture reading, true attention to doctrine, true meditation, really involves a surrender of our independence, a letting go of the right to always be in control. It will not necessarily lead us to the kind of moral life that we can boast of. We are going to be driven again and again to the cross of Jesus Christ for our failures. It's not going to eliminate the whole problem of forgetfulness. We will still forget when we would have liked to have remembered but the stronghold of our self-centeredness will have been breached. We will not always remember what and when, but we will be reminded by the Holy Spirit calling things to mind when they're actually needed. Now, I'm just going to close briefly by giving you a guarantee that this is going to happen. Because if we were to read on that passage in 1 Samuel... The people of God, as they've heard Samuel, are kind of struck. They say, oh, you know, they did that whole thing. Oh, I can't believe we've done this. We elected a king, and God has been saying he's wanted us as king. Please, Samuel, intercede for us. Stand before us and pray that we won't be destroyed. And Samuel says, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then he gives them this promise. He says in verse 22 of that same chapter, for the Lord will not cast away his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. God is committed to helping you remember him. And it's because he's committed to his own namesake. As Jonathan Edwards was so fond of saying, God is uppermost in his own affections. God is pro-God. God is about extending his glory to all the nations, and he will get it done. And so the guarantee is that you will remember God's ways because God is committed to himself. Please pray with me.